Good morning, Fifth Church. The Lord be with you. And good morning as well to uh, any and all who may have found their way here. Uh, this is now the fourth message in a series uh, that John and I are doing. If you haven't caught on yet, we're sort of tag-teaming our way through uh, the letters to the seven churches of Asia from chapters 1 through 3 of the book of Revelation. And today we come to the fourth letter to the church of Thyatira. Before we dig into that, would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. So this is the longest of the seven letters, and it was addressed to the smallest and least significant of the seven cities, uh, Thyatira, the church in Thyatira. And to paraphrase Calvin Coolidge, the business of Thyatira was business. It had no special military or geographic or political importance. It was a community of crafts, craftsmanship and buying and selling. And it's described by John Stott this way. I think this is a helpful uh, quote. If Thyatira was noted for anything in the ancient world, it had a commercial rather than a political distinction. It was a prosperous trading center. Inscriptions that archaeologists have discovered reveal that Thyatira boasted numerous trade guilds. There were associations for bakers and bronze workers, for clothiers and cobblers, for weavers, tanners, dyers, and potters. It was from Thyatira that Lydia, one of the Philippians' notable converts, had once had come. She traded in material treated with Thyatira's purple dye and is described by Luke as a dealer in purple cloth. Is it possible that Lydia, newborn in Christ, on returning to Thyatira, had been the means of planting the Christian church there? It's a wonderful thought. Uh, but the point is that Thyatira was basically a commercial center. And so the people living there participated in these various trade guilds, uh, which were extremely important, very significant. They, they didn't simply function as an association. They were almost more like a union. And without participating or membership in them, it was very difficult to earn a living. Uh, a, a fact which will be of some importance as we see in the body of the letter. So the letter to the church there addressed by Jesus, the Son of God, he's described the only time that title is used in the book of Revelation as if to emphasize his authority, his eyes blazing like fire, his feet shining like bronze, as if to say he's burning with holiness from head to foot. And holiness is the key theme of this letter. How are we to live in the world as followers of Jesus Christ, as the church of Jesus Christ? Holiness in Scripture 
has the fundamental sort of core meaning of being set apart in order to belong to God and therefore of showing that identity, that relationship in the way we behave. So Jesus begins with commendation for this church. He has a lot of good to say about it. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. So they're growing in all these wonderful things, in love and faith, in service, in endurance, an important quality, an important word in the New Testament. The writer to the Hebrews says, you have need of endurance. You need to hang in there. Jesus will put it here in these letters, hold fast, stay to the end. The one who endures to the end will be saved, says the New Testament. The Christian life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And the rewards are promised not to those who start well, but to those who finish well. So the Thyatirans have not only been hanging in there in all these ways, they've been growing in these things. This is the anti-Ephesus church. It's the opposite of the church in Ephesus. Ephesus, you remember, had lost their first love. They had fallen away from it. But in Thyatira, they keep moving forward in love and faith and service, ministry. Nevertheless, says Jesus, but I have this against you. There was one big problem in the church that the Lord points out, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. What was the problem in the Thyatiran church? It was, in a word, tolerance. But I have this against you. You're tolerating this. Now, tolerance is a good thing. We all recognize that, I hope. To be tolerant means simply to be accepting of people's differences, to give respect to different beliefs and opinions. Uh, a civil society is built on the bedrock of tolerance. Think of the Bill of Rights. Freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of association. That's the bedrock of our country. We believe in tolerance. Tolerance is good, except when it isn't. Because however tolerant we may be, there are always things that we must not and should not and will not tolerate. So we won't, as a society, tolerate racism or anti-Semitism, at least we shouldn't. And we've learned again this year that though we've come far, we still have a long ways to go on that, sco on that score. Schools shouldn't tolerate bullying, and they don't. And churches should not tolerate false teaching because that is precisely the issue here in the church of Thyatira. 
So Jesus says, you're tolerating, here's the problem, you're tolerating this woman Jezebel. And that, of course, <laughs> leads to a number of questions for us. First of all, who is Jezebel? Or what was she? It's a code name, clearly, for a real person. This was a real teacher or leader in the church. She's described as a, as a prophetess. Uh, so she's one of the preachers, one of the perhaps pastors, we would say, of the church. But she's named in code for the ancient queen of Israel, the wife of King Ahab, who was the Old Testament example of an evil woman promoting idolatry and immorality in the land. If you remember some of the story, the story of Jezebel and Ahab is intertwined with the story of Elijah in the book of 1 Kings, chapters 18 and 19 in particular. Jezebel was a Phoenician princess. Ahab married her, and she brought along with her 450 prophets of Baal. So Jezebel was the means of introducing, in a, a much more powerful way, the fertility religion of the Canaanites, of the Phoenicians in the land of Israel. And she became synonymous for that, for the evil influence of idolatry and immorality, confronted by Elijah, especially at Mount Carmel, uh, where he proved that the Lord was indeed God. And as a prophetess, now, this person, whose na actual name we don't know in Thyatira, was promoting a doctrine of spiritual license or liberty. Later on in the letter, it's referred to as the deep things of Satan. She seems to have been claiming the Spirit's authority for her uh, message that it was okay to go ahead with these uh, idol feasts that were such an issue, not only here, but as we saw in the previous letter, the letter to the Church of Pergamum. So to participate in a trade guild meant to go to a feast where the meat would have been offered to a pagan idol, carrying with it overtones of support of that idol, and then it would degenerate more often than not into a kind of orgy where all sorts of sexual behavior was not only tolerated, but encouraged. And the question confronting the church there, as it has confronted the church in every age, is when we're faced with the behaviors and practices that the world endorses, what do we do? Jezebel was saying, well, go ahead. You're free. The Spirit has given us this liberation. We don't have to be bound by all those old rules and all that doctrine and teaching of the apostles. It's a new age. We have a new message. So that's who she was. That's what she most likely was saying and teaching. And the effect of it was that she had divided the church. There was a Jezebel party now in the church of Thyatira. Some had gone along with her and were her followers. Others, no, said we have to remain faithful uh, to what we've received from, from the apostles. And Jesus says of her that 
she has seduced my servants to practice this. The word that he uses literally means to lead them astray. It's the word planao from which we get the word planet because to the ancients, uh, to the Greeks, as they looked into the sky, they saw some stars that seemed to wander in the sky and they called them planets, the wandering ones. And that's exactly what's happening in the church of Thyatira. Those who've embraced Jezebel and her teaching are being led astray. They're, they're wandering from the way. They're moving away from Jesus, not toward him. So there's the issue. What's the command then? And we find that uh, Jesus actually offers three commandments here to the two different groups. The first one to those who are following Jezebel, who've bought into her uh, theology of liberation, let's call it. Interestingly, he doesn't tell them, he doesn't tell the church to deal with her. He says he himself will deal with her directly. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead, and, I, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you as your works deserve. So embedded in that is a word to the followers of Jezebel, a very simple, straightforward word, Repent. And as we've often noted here, to repent does not first and foremost mean to feel sorry for your wrong or your error or your sin. Uh, it doesn't even first and foremost mean to turn away from it back to God. It certainly does mean that. But first and foremost, to repent means to change your mind. Change the way you're thinking. Wake up and see. And in this case, the word to Jezebel's followers is change your mind and your thinking about sexual immorality. That's the theme that runs throughout here. And as in scripture uh, throughout the New Testament, the word for sexual immorality here is pornaya. You can hear perhaps the word porn at the root of that. And in the New Testament, pornaya means any sexual practices outside of marriage. So change your mind about this and align it with Jesus' thinking. And about this time, I think I hear somebody say, what is it with you Christians, you evangelicals, why are you so hung up on sex? Why, is there, why are you always talking about it? Why are you so upset about it, so worried about it, so nervous about it? H.L. Mencken, uh, an early 20th century writer and skeptic and wit, once defined a Puritan as a person who was desperately afraid that someone somewhere was having fun. 
And I think for many people today, as they look at the evangelical church or conservative Christians, that's what springs to their mind. What, what do you have against fun? What do you have against love? The ancient Romans had a saying, amor omnia winket, love conquers all. Today we've somewhat modified that. The world says love justifies all. As long as you love somebody, what's the big deal? What is it with you? Well, here's how I would respond to that. I think the reason that we follow the New Testament in addressing quite clearly and plainly the issue of sexual immorality, of pornaya, is because no other issue confronts us each as individuals and daily confronts us with the choice of saying whose we are. To whom do we belong? Who is Lord? Do I belong to Jesus or do I belong to myself? As I was thinking about this message and preparing it, I happened to run across a quote uh, that went like this, your body is not a temple, it's an amusement park. And that so struck me because it so clearly presents the issue to us. Your body is not a temple, it's an amusement park. So I jotted it down, but I forgot where I saw it or who said it, so I Googled it and discovered it's not just a quote, it's a thing. You can get t-shirts, you can get merchandise with it. Uh, it was a quote from Anthony Bourdain, the celebrity chef, the popular travelogue producer, uh, a gifted, sardonic, cynical person. The full quote goes like this, your body is not a temple, it's an amusement park, enjoy the ride which makes it all the more sad when you know that the ride ended for Anthony Bourdain in 2018, sadly and badly, when he took his own life. But that's it, isn't it? Which, it, which one do we believe? Here's what the apostle said, Paul writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, for pornaya, same word, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Flee from pornaya. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. That's the issue. Repent. And to, I would say that a church that refuses to listen to the message of this letter may continue to call itself a church, but it will not be the church to whom Jesus speaks and with whom Jesus abides. It'll be some kind of church. It just won't be the church of Jesus Christ. And then, more positively, two words to the faithful in Thyatira. 
The first is to hold fast. And hold fast here, as we saw earlier in the letter to the Church of Pergamum, means to hold fast to the truth, to the doctrine of the apostles, of the New Testament, of the whole Bible. It's not so much hold fast in, against outward persecution and pressure, as we saw in Smyrna, but it's hold fast against the divisions that are within, because the deadliest threat to the church today isn't going to come from the world. It's not going to come from some persecuting government. It's going to come from false teachers like Jezebel who are dividing the body and sowing confusion and discord. So hold fast. Toward the end of his life, the Apostle Paul wrote three little letters to individuals. We call them the pastorals. One to Titus and two to Timothy. His concern as he neared the end of his life and of his ministry was exactly this. What's going to happen to the church when I'm gone? What's going to happen when I can't write letters anymore to sort of try to straighten things out in the church? And so over and over in these last letters, Paul talks about what he calls the faith or the teaching or the deposit because he believes that there is a coherent system of doctrine. It's been written down in his letters and other letters. It eventually would be collected in the New Testament. And he says to Titus and Timothy ten times in those three little epistles, teach these things. Hold fast. That's our call. So we have a choice, really. Do we believe what we've received in this book to be the Word of God? Or do we intend to make it up as we go? Hold fast. And finally, Jesus says, keep my works. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. Not in a political sense. I love the way Michael Wilcock describes the message of this letter in his commentary on Revelation. He writes this, The more favored a church is, the more severely she will be judged. Christ of the piercing eyes and the trampling feet comes to her like the sun shining in full strength, infinitely more terrible than the pagan sun god Apollo, whose temple at Thyatira was famous. His glory searches mind and heart, and there's nothing hid from its heat. Those who will not repent, he threatens with suffering and death, certainly in a spiritual sense and possibly also in a physical sense. To those who will repent, he promises that with this one major hindrance removed, they will become the splendid missionary church they have it in them to be. Friends, if we hold fast and keep his works, the results are going to be amazing as he uses us to reach out to the world and bring the nations to himself. And finally, this promise. 
and I will give him the morning star, which is nothing less than Jesus himself. Here's how the book of Revelation ends. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. We do, with all our hearts, say, come, Lord Jesus. We long for the day of your appearing. We long, in the meantime, for you to come to us, to come to our church, to come to our heart and life, to give us the strength to hold fast and keep your works. And may our influence be sweet and positive as we seek to continue to love and believe and serve in your name. Amen.